Good morning. I am so glad you guys are here and excited to hear God's word because that's how I feel today. I woke up really early because of the time change and right now my husband and I are living with my parents because our house is getting worked on and remodeled. And so about 6.30 last night I tell my parents, you know, I scrapped everything for my sermon and I'm starting over so I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) And they're like, what? I'm like, oh, this is normal. Like, this is just how preaching is. You know, you prepare, you read God's word, you soak in his spirit, and then you just kind of have to be patient and wait for God's spirit to invite me, as I've meditated on God's word, to trust that the spirit's leading is what he has for you to hear today. And so I just want to invite us today, as we begin, to just ask God's spirit to take over. So would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today open, open handed to hear your word. God preached. Would Paul's words be what we need to hear from you today? Would would we be a people gathered and then sent out? And so, would your Holy Spirit take over? It's in the strong and steady name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So I don't know about you, but personally, I hate road trips. You know, as a kid, I sung, I sang all the time, and I actually wrote a song about how much I disliked the freeway. And I'd sit in my car seat, and I'd sing my mom a song about how much I disliked the road because I felt like I wondered, are we ever going to get where we're going? I had such little patience as a kid, I couldn't stand road trips. And the waiting and the wondering if we would ever get there really frustrates me. And now as an adult, I don't get to just sing songs about how much I dislike the freeway, but I still feel that same resonance. Road trips are not my thing. And today's passage that we will get to in just a minute really stopped me in my tracks this week because it has made me consider how often I look for the result rather than the journey to get there. And the reality is, is that change or growth is often gradual, inevitable, internal, and symmetrical. And so those are the four words I kind of want to frame today's passage in Galatians 5, 5, verses 13 through 26. But before we get to the text, I want to invite you to hold this picture as the backdrop in today's text. So you can pull up that picture. Yeah, so this is a picture my husband Chris took while we were on our honeymoon in Italy. We were in Tuscany, and we were staying at an olive tree farm where they harvested these olives to press and then to make olive oil to sell. And as you can see, it's not green pastures. There's no luscious trees. There's actually just one up on that little hillside. But these trees are hundreds of years old. They have survived torrential rainstorms, harsh fires, droughts, and winds. And yet they still are fruit-bearing. And as we think together today, I want you to just hold this picture in the back of your mind. To think about how much work each and every year the workman does to keep the tree healthy. Consider with me for a moment what work the tree does compared to the work of the workman. 
Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Let's just pause there for a moment because we don't want to miss this. But again, Paul is reminding us in the churches in Galatia that they were called to be free. And you may be really tired of hearing that by now because our sermon title is Forgiven and Free, but Paul seems to think it's worth repeating over and over and over again. And so we hear we are called to be free. But you may wonder, what are we free from? So Paul continues, But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So our freedom is not marked by indulgence or despair, but Paul clarifies for us what mold freedom is supposed to take. And that mold is, is a, a mold to serve one another humbly in love. Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The language isn't cute or really fun. The language is harsh. Watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. Ouch. So Paul here begins by telling the churches in Galatia that their identity is first and foremost in Christ. Christ, the Messiah, has come, and therefore your identity is now marked by freedom. And that freedom is meant to propel you towards loving your neighbor. However, if we don't use our freedom to love our neighbors, we will continue to bite and devour each other. I know I'm not the only one here that sees how divided and devourous the church can actually be, especially now, where we are divided over so many things. Things like masks and vaccines, whether or not it's safe to be at school or how it's best to love your neighbor. We are deeply divided. And it's not just people outside the church, it's people here too. And we are much like the church in Galatia. Because the whole letter of Galatians calls this, these churches in Galatia to be united. That's the point. Paul continues and says in verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, sorry, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul here begins to compare is how there are two natures at work in every Christian. There is the spirit, and then there is the sinful nature. And at any point in our life, we will live by one and not gratify the other. And that sinful nature, which in some Bible versions is rendered as the flesh, translates the Greek word sarks. And what's important for us to distinguish quickly is that Paul is not talking about something outside of us. And he's not talking about our physical body, our physical makeup compared to our spiritual nature. But what he is saying is that within each one of us, 
we have the capacity to choose to give in to our sinful desires or to submit to the Spirit. And we often get tangled up in feeling like we need to hide or diminish our sinful desires, especially here at church. But Paul reminds us of the depravity of our sin. He reminds us that there is a war raging within each one of us. And rather than denying that reality, Paul calls it what it is. Because the reality is, is that we have been infiltrated. Every part of us is full of that sin. And it is only through the grace of the Holy Spirit that our flesh, that part of us that desires sin, can actually be transformed and renewed. What our English language really misses here is what Paul is saying it is, is that it is not desire in and of itself that is sinful. It is that we over-desire. It's an all-controlling drive and longing. And it's not that we desire bad things. It's that we over-desire good things. Let's get to what Paul says next, which is this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Whew! I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What you can quickly tell from this list is how our desire for something that was intended for good has now been over-desired in a way that was no longer God's intention. And Paul tells us that these over-desires are obvious. It doesn't take being a Christian to know that these things aren't what God meant for us. While they were intended to bring joy and pleasure, when we over-desire them, they no longer are that. However, what we often miss as Christians is that Paul tells us that all of these things are works of the flesh. He doesn't say that some of these things are worse than others. No. He tells us that all of these things are outer workings of that sinful nature all of us have. But, Paul continues, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful the text doesn't end after just describing a bunch of ways that we can fall into our over-desires. Instead, Paul says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is. And what I have missed, and maybe you have missed a couple times, as you've heard this passage probably a few times in your life, is that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. It is not a plural. And it's not as if we get to pick which character trait we get to be good at. Instead, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. 
which leads me back to where I began today. Think back to the four ways that fruit will grow on a tree. Gradually, inevitably, internally, and symmetrically. Sometimes we do not get to see the growth happening. We can only see it after a measure of time. And that's what it means that it's gradual. It starts as a tiny little sprout and transforms ever so, slow, ever so slowly into a fruit that is much larger, much more nutritious, and much more delightful. We often don't get to wake up one day and suddenly we are more patient, though I know I'm not the only one that wishes it was like that. No, it's often in days and months and years that the fruit is plentiful in us. Sometimes it's actually at the end of a storm, the drought, the rough conditions we have endured, that we look back and realize that the fruit was growing gradually the whole time. Next, that second word is that the fruit is inevitable. Just like when a tree is healthy, it bears much fruit, so it is with us. Fruit is inevitable when we submit ourselves to the Spirit's work in us. N.T. Wright reminds us as he reflects on this passage that we are saved by faith and faith alone. We are not saved by producing fruit. But because we are saved by faith, God promises a fruitful faith. We aren't promised a fruitless faith. And so God will produce fruit. It is inevitable. Next, the fruit of the Spirit has internal roots. And these roots are developing deep within us, and often in unseen moments, that these roots are strengthened, they're watered, they're fertilized and sustained. And much of that happens internally, without anyone noticing. And fourth, this fruit is symmetrical. As we grow in patience, our love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control all grow together. Again, we don't get to pick just one thing that we want to be good at. Though that might be a good intention, Paul's words are really clear. All the different character traits will grow and mature symmetrically. This list of both the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is not meant to be exhaustive. Like this is the only way you can have character growth or you could fall to the works of the flesh. It's not exhaustive. These lists are not meant to be that. But they are meant to be inclusive. While the fruit of the Spirit grows gradually, inevitably, internally, and symmetrically, if our works of the flesh go unexamined, they will grow very similarly. But Paul doesn't leave us there in the text either. He says this in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Instead, he says that because we belong to Christ, we now have crucified the flesh and its sinful desires. Meaning that since we have accepted Christ, we have 
everything we need in order to fight the battle against our sinful desires. And we're not in the battle alone. Praise God. Instead, God has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within each one of us. And as we live in the Spirit, walking in step with Him, we are strengthened to fight the battle against our flesh. And what I have missed, and I think what all of us have missed at times, no matter what age you are when you memorize the fruits of the Spirit, which is often a song, just saying, songs are good, but when we memorize them, at least when I did, I thought they were all about me. I thought this was the thing that God was going to do for me in my life, that God needed me to be these things because that's what it meant to be a Christian. But I think N.T. Wright really hits the nail on the head when he reflects on this, on this passage stating that the difference between Christian virtue and non-Christian virtue is that it's a team sport. The fruit growing in your life is not meant to be all about you, but it is about how you fulfill Jesus' single command to love your neighbor as yourself. The works of the flesh are things that destroy community. They tear us apart. Or as Paul tells us, it makes us bite and devour each other. However, the fruits of the Spirit are things that build community. They are the kind of things you want to see in the community you're involved in. A community that has love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will inherently be attractive to the people around you. But what I have missed over and over and over again until this week is that I don't get to pick just the one thing I feel like I can master so that I can say that God's somehow at work in my life. No, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are what prompt me to realize that Christ has called us to unity. I have often read this text as though it was all about verses 22 through 23, which is that broad list of the fruit of the Spirit. But I think the invitation to us today is really within those last couple verses, where it says in verse 24 that we belong to Christ Jesus. And because Christ has taken on all of our sin, living a life without sin or blemish, was crucified, was buried, and rose again, that we have power to proclaim that Christ has defeated both sin and death. And therefore, we can proclaim that we are forgiven and free. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. And because of Christ's work and not our own work, we are now invited to trust that the Spirit is at work within us. Think back to that olive tree. It can do its darnest to produce fruit. But if there's no one there to take care of it, to make sure it gets all that it needs, there's no way the, fruit, the tree will produce fruit in 100 or 200 years. That's why we started today by reading John 15, where Jesus tells us our job is to abide. 
And to abide means to bear patiently or to endure without yielding. And I think that if I felt like that was my job, was just to abide, I think my life would look a little bit different. And I, as I look at you guys here today, what I want to tell you guys is that God is producing fruit in your life. It may feel gradual, but it is inevitable. The growth may feel internal, but it is symmetrical. And God's word for us today invites us to consider how that plays out as we are a people gathered here and then sent out. And maybe today you're sitting there wondering if God is still wanting to be at work in your life. Maybe you're wrestling with the idea that God would even want to be at work in your life. Or like you've been there and done that. Maybe you feel like you've heard this spoken about before, and so what impact does it really have on your life? But I think the starting point for all of us, whether this is your first time here or your a thousandth time here, is that it begins by submitting to the Spirit. It begins by realizing that we cannot manufacture fruit, and we cannot defeat the works of the flesh simply by trying hard enough. The power of the text is that we can submit to the Spirit. We can never defeat things or produce things by our own willpower. And verse 16 has the key. Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not able to do whatever you want. I don't know about you, but my life was greatly transformed when I stopped trying to hide my issues. (laughs) When I stopped trying to fix everything on my own, and when I stopped denying the fact that I wasn't always good, that I actually had some parts of me that weren't great. And when I began to be honest about my jealousy and my envy, my selfish ambition and many other things, I began to realize that God actually cared more about producing character in me than fixing bad behaviors. And in time, as my character was developed and matured, the works of the flesh seem to go a little bit on the wayside. And I am not perfect. The works of the flesh still pop up in me daily. But what I've realized is that I need to admit that my sin is really real. It's not something I can hide from others or from God, thinking I could fix it all on my own. The Bible tells us that we are not left without help, and he is not afraid of your sin. Instead, God has taken steps towards us, giving us the exact help we need in order to fight the battle. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. Think back to these churches in Galatia. They were just like us, looking for ways to feel like they could be good enough. 
that they could maybe do just enough to deserve something. And they were trying to figure out this balance between the letter of the law and the freedom that Paul is sharing about that they have in Christ. And as we have seen in the last few weeks, they have thought about what they felt was really important, like circumcision or heritage or even how to deserve salvation. But Paul tells them and us today that our identity is not in any of those things. That Christ has set us free and now we can walk in step with the Spirit. Paul tells us we do that only through the Spirit. There's no other way. So as God's Spirit is at work in your life, fruit will grow gradually, inevitably, symmetrically, and internally. Because ultimately, how we love our neighbor is how we fulfill the law. That is why we are to fight the works of the flesh, is because they destroy community. We can't love one another well if we submit to the works of the flesh. Rather, if we are submitted to the Spirit and walk in step with Him, fruit will be produced. And personally, we can take no credit for it. And the fruit of the Spirit, as it develops and matures in each one of us, our lives will produce unity with one another. When all we can say is that God has transformed your heart and your life, unity will be what we show for it. To know and trust that God's work is is in your life, it will be gradual, inevitable, internal, and symmetrical. And like those olive trees, if we can pull that picture back up, they wouldn't be able to produce fruit if it was not for the tender of the trees. Today, we are going to participate in communion together. But before we do so, I would like to lead us in a time of prayer. And as we pray together, we're going to take time to practice what these last few verses started with today. We will take time to remember that our identity, first and foremost, is in Christ. And then we'll ask God's Spirit to reveal in us the way the sinful nature is at work in us and ask for his help to crucify them. And then lastly, we'll invite God's Spirit to help us and awaken us to walk in step with with his Spirit in us. So would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am just so thankful for your word that it is both living and active that it pierces our soul and reminds us of our deep need for you. God, as your word told us today, would we take a moment now and remember our identity, first and foremost in you. God, that we are chosen, that we are heirs of you, and that we are your sons and daughters adopted by your grace. Would you indwell us and remind us of our identity? God, we acknowledge that there is a war raging inside of each one of us, and we do not fight this battle on our own. 
but it is truly through your spirit that we are able to admit the reality of our sins. And so, God, we take a moment right now to admit the ways that we over-desire lesser things. God, whether it's jealousy or rage or envy, nothing is too big to separate us from your love. Instead, you have invited each one of us to be honest and turn away from them. But would you give us the power to do so through your spirit? And God, we seek your spirit to guide us, to empower us, to enable us to walk in step with you. God, we realize that the fruit of the spirit is not meant to be about us in isolation. But this fruit is meant to be shared in community. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear how we can help one another walk in step with you? God, we give you all the glory and the praise forever and ever. Amen.